Uh, Would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Well, as you know, just recently we celebrated the 4th of July. And as you can imagine, when we read passages about freedom and Christ setting us free, uh, it's easy to talk about our freedom here in the United States, especially in the month of July. As you know, we were once colonies of Great Britain, and at that time, suffering many, many injustices under the King of England. Finally, Revolutionary War broke out, where the colonists fought to free themselves from this oppression, from these injustices, from the rule of the king and from Great Britain, in order to establish themselves as free and independent colonies, free to govern themselves as they saw fit. And in the midst of this war, on July 4th, 1776, our forefathers signed the Declaration of Independence. And you know some of the most famous lines from that declaration where they wrote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And in that war and every war since then, men and women have been laying down their lives so that we might experience this liberty, this freedom, that we might live in the land that we call the land of the free and the home of the brave. You could say that freedom is a trait that defines us as a nation. When you think of the United States of America, you think of freedom. And we give freedoms to our citizens, the freedom of speech, of religion, the freedom to do exactly what we're doing right now. Um, As citizens of this great country, we are free. But as we read in our passage this morning, not only can we claim freedom as Americans, but we claim freedom as Christians. As Paul tells us, as Christians, we are free. For freedom, Christ has set us free, he says in verse 1. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So what exactly have we been freed from? As I approached this passage this past week, um, I was realizing that freedom for me was something that was difficult to really grasp. This freedom. Um... The American Revolution, the freedom that we experienced there was easy for me to understand. You could see the clear results of that freedom. But as Christians, what does it really mean that we are free? That we are free in Christ? And I realize that I myself and probably many Christians as well, we kind of have a warped notion of what it means to actually be free. 
a large part of our understanding of freedom comes from the fact that we live in America. When we talk about our freedoms as Americans, I believe that most of the time uh, we may be referring to the fact that we really desire to be left to ourselves. We desire to be left to our own devices. We describe our freedom as the right to live our lives how we want to live our lives. That is our freedom. We want to make our own decisions. We don't want other people meddling in our business. We want to do what we want to do within the bounds of the law, of course. Uh, But this is not how the Bible describes our freedom. You see, this is not the freedom that Christ has set us free to enjoy. And we're going to be talking this week and next week as well about what this freedom actually is. See, freedom is a concept that Paul talks about constantly throughout his letters. Uh, He mentions it over 30 times in his 13 letters. And in Galatians, he mentions it the most, actually. Uh, Over 13 times in various verses, he talks about the fact that we are free. We have been given liberty. Uh, We have been set free. Obviously, freedom is an important concept uh, to the Apostle Paul. But what does it really mean? What is he driving at when he talks about our freedom in Christ? Does it mean that when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, then we can simply do whatever we want because we are free? I think you know the answer to that. The answer is no. Our freedom is a, is a spiritual freedom. It's different than the physical freedom that we fought for in the Revolutionary War and in wars since then. In spiritual freedom, our conscience is set free through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. Our conscience is set free through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'll admit that may not sound like much, but when you think about it, it has huge implications for our lives. The fact that our conscience has been set free. Uh, if I were to take a straw poll right now and had you guys raise your hand, uh, maybe if I was in youth group, I would make you do it. I don't want to make you nervous right now. But um, who has ever had a guilty conscience? I would be one raising my hand. Uh, a guilty conscience is like this heavy burden that we carry. It's like this weight that we feel on our soul. Uh, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, it is this burden that Christian carries on his back as he starts off on his journey that is weighing him down. But when we are set free in Christ, we are freed, our our conscience is set free. And we will look at three things that happen when we receive this conscience uh, set free. One of them is freedom from guilt, freedom from shame, and freedom from accusation. First of all, a freedom from guilt. We are set free from guilt. As we talk about being set free from guilt, one of the most important things that we need to realize, first of all, is that our greatest need has been cared for in the gospel. Our greatest need. For us to really understand that our conscience has been set free, that this burden has been lifted, We need to understand really what this burden is, what our guilt really is. Sin leaves us guilty before God. 
And we need to understand the greatness of our sin, that even the, the smallest, tiniest sin leaves us guilty before God. Now, what's a more serious offense? Suppose your spouse has cooked a dinner for you, and despite their best efforts, it's not so great. And your spouse asks you, how is it? What are you going to say? Do you say, honey, it tastes great. Thank you. Um, You know it's a lie, but in a sense, you, um, for the sake of your spouse and for the sake of your marriage, you tell your spouse what they want to hear. Or what's worse, lying on a witness stand in a courtroom while testifying in a trial. I know we have several lawyers here. Um, Which lie has greater consequences? In the first instance, the the consequences of us being caught maybe aren't that significant. They could cause some marital turmoil, yes. But if we lie in court and we're found out, there are serious consequences. Perjury is not a light offense. You see, every sin that we commit is a serious offense, even the smallest of sins. Because every sin that we commit is sin against God. Every sin that we commit is against the God of the universe. After David was caught in sin with Bathsheba, after he committed adultery with her, had her husband killed, he wrote this in Psalm 51. He says, Against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now, if we were looking at it from a human perspective, it wasn't just God that he sinned against. He sinned against Bathsheba when committing adultery with her. He committed, um, he, he sinned against Uriah, her husband. He sinned against the nation of Israel because he should have been at war, but instead he was committing adultery uh, with this woman. He sinned against his own family. Um, he sinned against many people. But David realized that ultimately his sin was before God. And that was what the seriousness of his sin was. And this goes for every sin that we commit. It's not just a simple sin against a person or um, something anonymous. Every sin is against God. In reality, we are dripping with guilt before the great God of the universe. This is our biggest problem. The guilt that we have before God is our biggest need. We may have other issues in our lives, but none of them compares to the problem that we have of our guilt before God. And probably, as I know and probably many of you know, feeling guilty is an awful thing. I do not like to feel guilty. As I said before, it's like a heavy weight that just bears down on you. Uh, It makes us feel like we're, I don't know, walking through a a fog, a, a haze. When I was younger, uh, I rarely got into trouble. It's not because that I was this really good kid. Uh, it's because I knew how to play the game. 
Uh, I was the youngest of four. I had three older sisters. I saw what they did. I knew how they got into trouble. And so I knew how to avoid getting in trouble. Uh, until one time. I remember vividly one time that I, I was grounded by my parents. You see, I took piano lessons when I was a kid. And I, um, I don't know if we'll make our kids take piano lessons, but we will have our kids do some sort of musical instrument. Most parents do. But um, the requirement for me was to practice a half an hour every day. And that was like drudgery, to get myself to practice a half an hour every day. Looking back, I wish I had stuck with it. But uh, at 12 years old, I convinced my parents uh, that I didn't need to take piano lessons anymore. But one day, my parents uh, had to run errands or something. They were leaving me home alone. And they told me, while we're gone, we want you to practice the piano. Um, I didn't. I didn't practice. I didn't want to. I didn't feel like it. I thought I could get away with it. So when they got home, they asked, Mike, did you practice the piano? Well, yes. Yes, I did. For a half an hour, just like he told me. You know, every day, half an hour. Um, and they trusted me. They believed me. Until the next day. Uh, the next day, as it was time for me to practice the piano, lo and behold, I couldn't find my piano books. I searched high and low in our house, and I could not find them. Finally, I went out to our car. And wouldn't you know it, my piano books were in our car. So I got back in the house. I said I found them. And my parents asked them the obvious question. Well, Mike, how could you practice the piano yesterday if your piano books were in the car with us? Busted. Busted. And the feeling of guilt just washes over you. It's, um, it's this burden that you carry. Um, and all of us have felt it at different points in our lives. But the great news of the gospel is that Christ has set us free from this guilt. Our conscience is set free from this guilt and from this guilty feeling that we carry around with us so often in our lives. As we've been talking about in the book of Galatians, we have been justified through faith in Christ. We have been declared innocent in the sight of God. We are no longer guilty. We are innocent. If you've been following the news at all the last several weeks, there has been a pretty high-profile trial that, um, in which the verdict came back not guilty. I'm not going to comment on the trial itself, but uh, what I want us to know is that our status is not not guilty. This person may still have the feeling of guilt knowing that his actions caused the death of a teenager. And he has that on his conscience. But this is not our status. It is not not guilty. It's not like there's not enough evidence to convict us. Our status is innocent. Our slate has been wiped clean. We do not bear this feeling of guilt. In a sense, our conscience, in reality, our conscience is freed. We are set free. And we can experience this, this lightness instead of this burden bearing down on us. We can feel this joy, in a sense, a, a, a lightness, even a feeling of, of floating, of walking on air, because our conscience has been set free. We are innocent. We don't have to carry around this burden of guilt anymore. Not only are we freed from guilt, 
but we are also freed from shame. I don't know what it is, but I feel like we love to carry around shame in our lives. And why do we carry around this shame? We have this sense that if people really knew who I was on the inside, if they knew the real me, people would think differently of me. We convince ourselves that if other people knew the things that had happened to me or the things that I have done in my life, no one would like me. Our lives are filled with regrets. Our lives are filled with shame. I admit, I have things in my past that I wish that I had not done. I have regrets. But through Christ, we have been set free from shame. You see, we have been adopted into God's family, as we've been talking about the last several weeks. We are loved by God, despite the shame of our past. Despite the things that we have done, we are loved and adopted by God into his family. We may feel like on the inside that we are unlovable, that no one could like us, but in reality that could not be further from the truth. That is not the truth of the gospel. You see, God loves us so much that he has adopted us. We are his sons through faith in Christ. And if this is how God feels about us, who cares what other people think? If the God of the universe loves us in spite of our sin, does it really matter what other people say? Imagine that you are at work and the president of your company whom you really admire and respect, comes to you and compliments you on your work. And yet your co-worker, several minutes later, comes to you and criticizes that same work. Are you going to care, in a sense, what your co-worker says? The president of the company appreciates what you're doing. Does it matter what your co-worker thinks? The same is true in our relationship with God. We get so wrapped up in what other people are saying and what... We're so concerned about the feelings of others towards us. But in reality, God loves us so much that he has sent his son to die for us. And because of this freedom that we have, this freedom from shame because of our sin, we are free to confess our sins. This is a big deal. Because we are loved and accepted by God, we can therefore be honest about our sin before God and before others. God knows the awful things that we have done. He knows the awful things that have happened to us in our lives. He knows the deepest, darkest recesses of our soul, and yet He loves us in Christ Jesus. This gives us freedom to repent, and repentance leads to, leads to forgiveness and forgiveness leads to freedom. And this freedom, ironically then, opens us up to be accountable to one another. We become less and less concerned about what other people think of us and rest more on the love that God has for us. We are more able to admit the fact that we are sinners not so concerned with what other people think about us because we rest assured in what God thinks of us. 
See, what makes a Christian community different than any other community on earth is not that we are, um, is not that we sin less necessarily. We may be progressing in our sanctification, but I think what should make a Christian community different is the fact that we are able to talk about our sin more. That we are more candid with the struggles that are going on in our lives. That we are a community that is able to share those things, to forgive one another because we are forgiven in Christ. What makes us different is not that there is less sin, but that there is more forgiveness between us as brothers and sisters in Christ. In a a sense, we could be a place where sin is actually talked about more than in the world because we are free to talk about this depth of our sin, bearing the blackness of our hearts to one another because we have been set free from its shame. Christians aren't ones who should judge one another because we know that we're all sinners in the sight of God and that we've been saved by God's grace and accepted in Him. You see, in spite of our sin, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have no shame before God because He has seen the depths of our sin and He has loved us and He has accepted us in Christ Jesus. And not only are we free from shame, but we are free from accusation as well. You see, Satan is the great accuser. He loves to plant these, these thoughts in our minds, saying, you know what, you're not good enough. You're not doing enough. You have to do more. You have to do better. You have to be better. And I believe that this is one of the great struggles that the Galatian church um, faced. See, in these verses, Paul rebukes the Galatians for returning to and following the law after, after starting out on their Christian journey in such a good way. He said that they were running so well. But yet they returned to the law. They were returning to circumcision and other acts that they believed would give them life. Paul tells them, if you follow the law, you'll be constantly opening yourself up to accusation from Satan. You see, if you try to keep part of the law, as Paul says, you have to keep the entire thing. And we all know it's impossible to keep the entire law. So if we are trying to gain acceptance before God by following the law, if we're trying to get God to like us based on our performance, then we will always be opening ourselves up to accusation before Satan. He will be right. We won't be good enough. We never will be. We have to do better. But this is not the gospel, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of our own. It is the gift of God. You see, through the gospel, we are set free from accusation by Satan. Christ has done for us what we could not do on our own. Christ fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law on our behalf. 
When Satan says you have to do more, or you have to be better, or you're not good enough, he is lying. What we need, what needed to be done has already been done for us in Christ Jesus. Our conscience is clear. We have been set free. We no longer have to bear the burden of our guilt or our shame or this accusation that comes from Satan because Christ has set us free and our conscience is clear. Now, I don't want to scare you, but I'm only through verse one at this point. Um, Originally, we were going to go through verse 15 and then I cut it down to 12. Maybe I should have just cut it down to verse one. But um But the reason why uh, we have talked about this is because the implications of this are so huge. I feel like we live our lives bearing this, this weight of guilt and this shame constantly under the accusation of Satan, when in reality, Christ has set us free. The implications of our freedom is, they're just so big. We don't have to live under this crushing weight of guilt and accusation and shame anymore. But now the question is, how has this happened? How have we been set free? And Paul addresses that in verses 2 through 12. You see, the law can't set us free. We've been talking about that in the entire book of Galatians. The law cannot set us free. Our performance can never be good enough. We cannot be free. If this were the case, we would be constantly racked with guilt, constantly asking the question, am I good enough? Am I doing enough? We would feel the shame of our sin, and we would feel this constant accusation from Satan if it was based on our performance. But thanks be to God, our conscience is clear. We have been set free. As Paul says in uh, Galatians 1 verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And in 3 verse 13 he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And in later when he would write the book of Romans uh, chapter 8 verse 2 says, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So in conclusion, in a sense, so what? So what? How do we live then in freedom? We're going to be talking a lot about how we live in freedom next week as we look at verses 13 through 15. But in verses 2 through 12 here, we see Paul's passion. Throughout the whole book of Galatians, we've seen Paul's passion to the Galatian, uh, in, in his letter to the Galatians. You almost get the sense that he might be even getting a little carried away here in what he says, particularly in verse 12, telling people to emasculate themselves. But he is so passionate about Christ and the gospel that he will defend it at all costs. He will not allow people to distort the gospel. He will not sit idly by and watch people change the gospel. Because once you change the gospel, you lose the gospel. He realizes if you add anything to Christ, then you lose Christ. And he sees that there is no greater travesty in life than when you lose Christ. 
Paul is even willing, as we read in verse 11, to accept persecution for the sake of the gospel because he knows that he himself is free in Christ. I don't care what you do to me. Christ has set me free. We need to be passionately defending the gospel as well. But we need to remember that freedom doesn't mean that we are autonomous. And what I mean by that is that we aren't free to do whatever we want. We'll address that next week as we look through verses 13 and 15. Instead, we are to live our lives according to the will of God. We need to live as God created us to live. And what we'll talk about next week is how do we live now in this freedom? But today, what do we do? Well, we lay our guilty consciences down at the feet of Christ. We place our guilt and our shame and these accusations that we feel, we place them at the foot of the cross where they are covered in the blood of Christ. Because of Christ, we are free. So people of God, take heart. You are free. Remember that you are worse sinners than you could ever possibly imagine. But you don't have to live in the guilt and the shame of your sin. Instead, take heart. Because God loves you more than you could ever possibly imagine. In fact, God loves you so much that in Christ and through Christ, He has set you free. Amen. Let us pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for this freedom. And we admit that often in our lives we live with the guilt and the shame and under the accusation of Satan. Please, Lord, help us to understand and to live in the freedom that we have with Christ. I pray that you would help us to, to live and in, to enjoy this freedom, knowing that we don't have to be weighed down by this guilt. And I pray that you would use the, this in our lives, Lord, to draw us closer to you. Use this in our sanctification that we might look more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. And we long for the day, Lord, that we are not only set free from the law and the implications of it, set free from this guilt and shame, but Lord, we long for the day when we are set free even from sin, when your Son, Jesus Christ, comes again. Lord, come. Lord Jesus, come. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen.